Another Way to Play, Episode 3. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I'm your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today, our guest is Hunter Markart with RPM Mortgages. He's the number one loan advisor over there. I and mean, if you don't know what that means, he's the guy you call when you need to buy a home, buy an investment property, or refinance something. He's going to get you the best rate, the best terms, and get it done in your timeline. He's closed over a billion dollars of mortgage transactions, 119 of which has been done in 2018. In this episode, we're going to talk about his junior midlife crisis from when he was working as a tech salesperson in Silicon Valley and realizing the moment he had to make a change, uh, what it means to be passionate about your career, and some great advice for finding a mentor or a coach. So stay tuned for that. But before we dive in, I would love to hear from you and hear what's resonating with you, uh, what you'd like to hear more of, and the type of guest we should be getting on the show. So I would like to offer to book a call with me for 15 minutes. The link is in the show notes below and on my website. So take a look there. Get on the calendar and let's have a chat. So without any further ado, here's the interview with Hunter Marquardt. All right, Hunter, thank you so much for coming and sitting down with me. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here, Hans. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, welcome to the podcast. So for all you listening, again, this is Hunter Markward of RPM Mortgage. He is a fantastic loan officer here locally in the Bay Area and has a pretty interesting story that he's going to share with us. So Hunter, why don't you give us a start, a little bit of background with, with your story and kind of where you came from and, and how you got here? Okay. Uh, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> as far as you want to take us, we can go all the way back to um, high school or, or into your early part of your career, wherever you feel like your story really begins um, on your route to success and, and another way to play. Well, I mean, high school, Northern California high school, I bounced around my whole life. So uh, that's kind of a story in and of itself. We can talk about later if you want. And then uh, graduated from University of Arizona with a degree in finance. I uh, quite frankly thought that I was going to be some big... Uh, corporate finance guy and, and, you know, interviewing around some of these huge banks and hedge funds and investment banks and uh, quickly realized that a, a University of Arizona diploma did not get you very far um, on, on, I guess, our version of Wall Street. So went to Nextel Communications. Uh, so that was officially my first job out of school. And then that was an interesting thing because I spent, you know, four years in school studying finance only to find myself in Benicia going door to door to businesses selling phones, um, which sounds horrible, but was an absolute amazing uh, first job and, and a great opportunity. Then I was there for a few years, went into software because I think my ego led me into software because that was the cool thing to do at the time. I was in software mm -hmm. for four and a half years, um, had really good success doing it, but absolutely hated doing it as well. So 
Um, I was literally driving home from, from Mountain View one night. I call it a, a junior midlife crisis where I don't know if anyone's ever seen the movie Traffic, but uh, the guy just freaks out in the middle of the freeway. And that was pretty much me and came home to, to Kim, my wife. And uh, she agreed that, you know, based on how it was affecting our relationship, that something had to, to change. And uh, I, I had family members that were in the, the mortgage business and talked to them about it. And literally within, I want to say probably three weeks, just said, screw it. I'm, I'm getting out of software and I'm getting into the mortgage business. And that was uh, 14 years ago. So I've now, I've been doing this for 14 years. I've been at the same company for 11 of those years. I uh, did three years at a little brokerage and uh, yeah, I've been here ever since. And I don't want to say that I haven't looked back. I have looked back, but it's been, uh, it's been a good run. So it sounds like with any entrepreneurial journey, you have had your ups and your downs. Um, I'm hoping that we can, we can back up just a touch and go into that quarter midlife crisis as you, as you called it and sort of take us into that moment of you're driving back home uh, from the peninsula, from your software job and you're on the freeway. What do you, what's going through your mind there and, and what are you thinking? I think my age was, I think it was 28, uh, 28 or 29. And I was thinking that I am going to work at, I'm leaving my house at, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm getting into the office at 7.15, 7.30. I'm getting home every night and sitting in traffic. Traffic in general for, you know, I feel bad for people that are in it, but I mean, it, it messes with you. So I was in traffic for probably two and a half to three hours a day. And I'm basically the way that I, the easiest way for me to say it is I'm selling a product that doesn't really work, solving a problem that nobody really knows they have that I don't understand in the first place and to a bunch of people that really don't like me. And I'm just, and I say that only in the sense that, I mean, it was a very technical product and it was a great company. And I love, I mean, half the people that were the company I refinanced when I got straight in the mortgage business, but it was a, it was like the experience was amazing, but what it was doing to me was brutal in the sense that I'm just going, what this cannot be, this cannot be what my life is about. Um, and that's what, and I just literally, I, I mean, I think I was just having a panic attack and I just, I freaked out. Um, and, and you know, I'm still an hour and a half from home and, and I mean, it was affecting my marriage. It was, it was just, it was crazy. So that's what was going through my head was this is not sustainable. And it, there's always a, you know, for me with my upbringing, there's kind of a balance of, um, you know, you work your ass off and you, you grind, you know, and, and as much as I do believe in grinding, I think you got to grind towards something that creates some level of satisfaction and, and, and joy. And that certainly wasn't going to be it for me. So that's, it was a, it was a realization of this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Wow. So, so there was certainly a moment of, of extreme panic and then ultimately led, led you to some clarity. Um, when you, when you look back to that pre 28 year old version of Hunter, uh, yep. what do you, what do you think sort of led you to that position? Cause it, it sounded like from what you were saying, you kind of did the treadmill thing or you did the, the finance route, the college route, and then just were taking the steps that most people would take to get into finance. Um, what, what then led you to that moment of clarity? So er, relatively early on in your twenties, most people would say that's pretty early. 
Well, I, I mean, I think what leads you to clarity is, is I wish it wasn't like this, but it is. I think what leads you to clarity is understanding so much of the, so many of the decisions I make are based off of what I understand I don't want versus what I do want. Hmm. Um, and you can only understand that by going into different jobs and different scenarios and different situations. And I wasn't, you know, this, I don't want to, I mean, if my poor parents hear this, I love my parents, but I mean, like it was about like success growing up in my household, like being successful had to do with income. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, and I'm not sure that, you know, I mean, I, I feel that way, you know, I mean, I, I think it's nice to have income and it's, it, it's, it's a good thing, but it's not everything. So I was focused on making money and I was looking at jobs that, we're going that we're going to or we're supposed to make help me make money um and that's what i mean nextel i mean you know first job out of school it was you know door to door banging out phones but i mean admittedly it was a six figure income the first year out of school by just pounding down doors and i thought that that was going to lead in i thought software was the next uh the next level of that because it was you know the late 90s when you know all these ipos were happening and you know all my you know not all my but a few of my friends around me were getting rich on stock options and all this stuff so i thought mm-hmm. that, that was the next phase for me um and you know it just it wasn't i'm just like i constantly i went into work every day i felt insecure i had anxiety because all these people around me knew so much more than me they had more than me. They had more experience. They had different diplomas. So I was just constantly, um, I was constantly in an environment that just made me feel awful about myself. And part of that's me and part of that's me not being in the right environment for me. So, um, I don't know that that answers your question exactly, but I mean that, that I used to just drive through things, you know, just drive through the wall, drive through the wall, drive through the wall. And at some point, I think at 27, 28 years old, I, I realized that I just, I didn't want to spend my life driving through walls. You know, at some point you got to, you, you can find a wall that has a opening to it and <laughs> just cruise through it. And it sounds like you had a lot of support at home with, uh, from your wife and, and maybe from some others, but were there folks at that time in your life who were, who were against that decision or trying to change your mind? Oh, for sure. And, and, and quite frankly, most people, I mean, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not naive in what, you know, if, if you walk into a dinner party and you tell people that you work for a, a startup or a software company, they, they want to talk to you. You tell people, you walk into the door and you tell people that you work, you're a, you're a mortgage broker or a mortgage banker. Uh, it's kind of like, okay, great. What's next? You know? So, I mean, it's like, it's totally. not, it, it's, it's not as sexy to be doing what I'm doing. So yeah, everybody, you know, at, at 28, 29 years old, that's when you're, um, you know, that's when you're supposed to be making some big decisions and, and kind of climbing up different ladders of different environments that you're in, whether or not it's commercial real estate, whether or not it's software, finance, whatever. So yeah, for me to jump off of that ledge and to go into something that people would, uh, to most of my peers and people around me that were more into what everything looked like. I mean, I think people were looking out for my best interest but not understanding exactly how I felt either. So, um, yeah, most people were completely against my decision to do what I was doing because they believed that I was basically sacrificing, you know, eight years of after college efforts to, um, you know, to go into something that was far less superior from a, from a career standpoint. 
Interesting. So, so software obviously had that appeal and that sort of sexy dinner party conversation and, and, and ideally an IPO or some stock options, but the day to day of it was, it sounded like it was sucking you, sucking you dry. Yeah. Yeah. It was just terrible. Yeah, absolutely. And when you ultimately made that decision, it sounded like it happened real fast. You said something earlier about three weeks later, you were in the mortgage business. How did, how did that transition happen? And how did it happen uh, so fast? I guess is more more an interesting question. Well, I went in. Um, I feel bad saying this because I don't want it to. If if any of my old friends in the software days are listening to it, I don't want to think that I was, you know, got one giant check. But I worked on one deal for a couple of years that had a very large, especially at that age, check attached to it. And mm-hmm. that after that after that deal closed and I got paid on it, I was like, okay, this is my opportunity to get out. So that, I mean, it, it put some money in the coffers for me because as you know, I mean, it's like you get into this business, it's not like anyone's, there's no base salaries. You know, you just, you gotta, you gotta eat, uh, you know, if, if you close a deal, you get paid. If you don't, you don't. Exactly. Um, so I did have a nice little buffer because uh, I have, you know, I mean, I, at the point, I, you know what, I didn't have any kids at that point. I was just married. So, um, but yeah, I just, I, once I made the decision, I made the decision period. And I just, I have a tendency to, uh, you know, think too much about things, but when I actually do commit, then I'm done. And I decided when that moment happened on the freeway and I literally remember exactly where I was, um, I made the, that was it. So once the decision was made, I figured out, I went and interviewed with a couple of mortgage brokerage shops, uh, just picked one and that's, that was it started, you know, started a few days later. So back, going a little more uh, macro here, for those of you who don't understand the mortgage business, uh, Hunter is uh, someone who you would go to in order to find a loan for either buying a house or refinancing your home. And that's an grossly oversimplified version of what he does but but that he is that person who gets it done once you decide you want to buy something or refinance something can you give us just a little more context for those of us who don't totally understand the mortgage business yeah i mean it's certainly at the most simple form you just you said it you said it well i mean and there's we're financing people's homes you know you, you buy you're buying a primary home a secondary home or an investment property um, it's on the, it's on the residential side as opposed to the commercial side. Um, and yeah, we are, you know, you have to, it's, it's post mortgage meltdown of 2007 and eight. It's just, it's become a very, um, you know, paper intensive, well, whether or not you call it paper document intensive, uh, frustrating, quite frankly, uh, environment for, consumers and you know our, our our goal is one to get it right and two uh to make it the best experience possible in an environment that isn't you know i'm very i'm not naive to people don't love going out to get a loan just like i don't love going out to get my taxes done so you try to make it as, as positive <laughs> an experience as you can for the people you're working with and what is it that about the mortgage industry that led you there in the first place because it sounds like you could have gone almost anywhere given the fact that you had a lot of sales experience and and a and a bit of a cushion financially at least yeah so th- that wasn't the most purposeful decision i've ever made it was more of a comfort decision because i had people i had family members around me 
that were in the business, not necessarily just on the mortgage side of it, but in the mortgage banking side of it um, on the, you know, not to get into details, but like on the, my dad was in the wholesale side of the business. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was around mortgages and I understood it and I saw people around me um, literally just locally, like people that I knew that were in the business that were making a lot of money doing it. Um, and that was it. I just, you know, it was more of escaping software than it was choosing mortgages, right? Mortgages just happened to be it, 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 just as easily. It could have been commercial real estate. It could have been, it could have been a lot of different things. This was totally. just the easiest, um, or, or at least the, one of the more known things that I could do. So that's what I, that's why I decided on it. Beautiful. That leads me to another thought here. In your opinion, what is, when you think about the question, you know, following your passion or doing something you are passionate about, I, I would, I feel like, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but most people don't have a deep burning passion to write mortgages all day. It's, it's, as you said, sort of unsexy. Um, How important is that passion in, in, your sort of freedom pursuit and your success pursuit relative to um, what you do every day and how you make a living and how you impact people's lives? So it's a great question, Hans, because I, I, I mean, I think most of us are not, I don't know how many people know what their passion is. You know, I mean, like if anyone's listening to this, I would believe that the majority of the people that this, that hear this, also leave themselves scratching their head with what their true passion is. I think it's, um, so for me, you're like, I am not admittedly, and I shouldn't say this, but I'm not passionate about writing mortgages. I'm really not. I am passionate about relationships. And I don't mean that like in this altruistic sense, it's just what I enjoy. I enjoy helping people. Um, and I got plenty of things wrong with me, but literally one of the very important things for me is helping people. I just enjoy it. I enjoy the communication. I enjoy helping people. I enjoy people getting done going, that was an amazing experience. I enjoy people getting done saying, holy cow, I thought this was supposed to be horrible, but it's not. I enjoy people saying, oh my God, I got into a house because of you. Whether you know, I mean, they could have done it through another outlet, but they believed that it was me. Like that makes me feel great. And Mm -hmm. So, so I guess my point is for me, I look at it and say, I'm passionate about helping people. I could do that in a lot of different environments. I could do that in a lot of different jobs, but like the corporate world, corporate America, like being in software, I'm not really helping people. I'm helping a corporation. I'm helping some CIO implement some integration software that he can, or she can now deploy throughout their business. But it's not like they're getting their rocks off by buying my software, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, when you are doing a loan and you're doing it well for someone, I, I love the personal aspect of getting that done for people. So long-winded way of me saying, I think a lot of us have to figure out what our passions are, what we enjoy doing as a human, and then either redefining your job around that and finding like how you make that job go around your passion. Um, well, I guess that's it. That's what I mean. That's what I would say yeah. about it is, 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 is creating an environment that allows me to focus on my passions, 
through doing mortgages. So it sounds like what you're saying is you enjoy helping people. You enjoy being an intimate part of a, a otherwise very challenging and almost dentist-like, as, as some people might put it, process, and turning that into a, a huge positive that impacts them long term. And that happens to take the form of mortgages for you. Very well said. Yes. And I hate going to the dentist. You know, my dentist <laughs> is a client of mine, so he'll get mad at me for saying it, but I hate, that's the best analogy because I hate the dentist. Oh, I think, mo I think the dentists even probably hate the dentist, but yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. let them uh, tell us about that another time. When you're talking to someone younger, maybe you see someone out there who is trying to buy their first home that kind of reminds you of you who's in software or something. And let's just say they come to you and ask like, Hey Hunter, like you're, you've got a pretty cool lifestyle. You're making some good money. You're helping people. You're doing a, a, some really cool stuff. Like what's the best advice you could give me uh, to level up my game or to, to pursue a real definition of freedom in the next year? What would you tell that person if they asked? In general or about mortgages? In general. Like if they're coming uh, to you for career advice because they like the way that you're pursuing your life. Got it. Um, so I would say, like if I had to do it all over again, I would say you, you find a couple different people that you trust, respect, maybe admire. Um, and you ask them for two to three things that they would do if they were you. And then you put your head down for 12 months and you do it right. Like for me, one of the things that I would tell people is, you know, we'll probably talk about it at some point, but I mean, like I, and this is something I never thought that I would be into, but at 35 years old, I started getting coached um, professionally. And when I started that coaching I, it literally, it changed everything. So I would be telling someone younger than me, like if I had started that, I can't imagine where I would be right now if I started that at 25 versus 35. So that's something, that's one thing that I would tell someone. Um, another thing is, is just, I think we're all, I think in today's age, we're just, we're all looking for the next thing so quickly. And I, I don't think you go through life doing something that you are just fighting against constantly that's hard. But at the same time, I think we've all gotten used to just things getting a little hard and we quit and you're quitting mm -hmm. at the exact wrong time. Like you're just around the corner from finding some success, but you're never going to find it if you keep quitting when things get hard. And I see, I just, I see a lot of people that are just, you know, they're, they're 10 jobs into their career or they're, five companies in like I see it on the mortgage side of things all the time. People switch five. They, they go to work for five different mortgage banks. And mm -hmm. it's like, at some point you got to look within to say, maybe it's you, you know, and maybe mm -hmm. it's kind of the quick factor as opposed to the, um, you know, grind. I don't think we want to, I don't think we want to spend our whole lives grinding, but uh -huh. there are moments in time where you do in fact need to grind to see what's on the other side. And I don't think that anything that's worth having really comes all that easy. I just, I just don't. Um, so I would tell someone that you gotta, you gotta grind through it, put your head down, take two or three tactics from two or three people that you have a lot of respect for and just put your head down and do it and see where you end up 12 months from now. 
That's awesome advice. Can you dig in just a little deeper on that mentorship side of it? You said find two or three people that you respect. Um, there's a lot of people out there on social media, uh, on Facebook, all this sort of thing, pitching, coaching, you know, obviously in our business, in the real estate and mortgage world, there's a lot of coaches. Uh, how does someone go about cutting through the noise and deciding who the right person is to hire or to, to copy or to emulate? Well, I think, I mean, there's two different ways to go about it, right? There's, there's, you can, I can personally mentor someone, right? Like a guy that used to work with me, uh, Brandon, he still kind of works through my team, but I mentor Brandon. I, I help him out on an individual basis. It's a very informal relationship. Then I coach these other people that are spending, you know, a few thousand bucks a month per month getting coached by this program. And I would, that's a whole different level of accountability and, you know, just the amount of time and energy that everyone's putting into it. I would say what you have to do, and this might turn a lot of people off. I think you have to ask for numbers. I think, I think the challenge is, is that there's so many people that are full of crap in our business um, and in any business where they tell you that they do X and they do Y. Like, as an example, um, I asked my financial advisor to show me her, uh, to show me her tax returns. Mm. And I know that sounds nuts, but if I'm going to give this person my money to manage, I would like to know that she's successful. You know I mean? It's like it, that stuff matters. So for me, you, you have to hold people, you have to, you have to hold people accountable. The people that are going to coach you, you have to hold them accountable um, for being good at what they do. And that upfront, it, it comes from just evidence. I mean, I don't think everybody needs to go, go around showing tax returns and, and pay stubs, but I mean, if you're going, if you were going to listen to me, I would hope that you'd want to know that I've been there versus I'm just blowing smoke, leading you down some path that isn't, you know, that's the wrong path. And I, I'm not saying that money is the measurement of all that, but as it relates to selling homes or doing loans or doing something, if you're in a sales role, your success is determined by, you know, the deals that you close, just call a spade a spade. So yep. Yep. that's what I would do. I would have very direct conversations with the people that are quote unquote telling you that they can take you to the next level by asking them who they've taken to the next level evidence that they've taken people to the next level, evidence that they deserve to coach you in the first place by the experiences that they've had. And that's where I would go with those. One of my favorite uh, pieces of advice is don't take advice from someone you wouldn't rather trade places with. But what do you think about that? I think it's, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's great. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I, it says it all. I mean, I, I want to, it doesn't mean that I, I mean, I want to learn from everybody. I love learning and listening to people, but I mean, yes, it's absolutely true. If I'm going to hire a mentor, if I'm not hire, if I'm going to hire a coach, that's one thing. If I'm going to be a mentor to someone, that's something else. But yes, like I have a personal and I certainly did not create this, but there's this, there's this idea of having like a personal board of directors for, you know, you can have it for health. You can have it for faith. You can have it for, uh, you know, what it's like to be a spouse, what it's like to be a parent. Mm -hmm. And to seek people that you admire and to spend more time with them to be better at their, at, at whatever skill it is that you're looking to fine tune. It's, it's such a better way to go through life. And usually those people, they want to help. 
I mean, if someone, you know, I, I, there's a lot of people that help me. I had breakfast this morning at 645 with one of my financial mentors and, and we get together once a month and it's, you know, we talk and I ask advice. He, you know, we're now to the point he asks me for some advice on some different topics, but it's just, it's so much more fun uh, to have people in your life that you trust, respect, and admire, uh, and, that, and, and those people are usually interested in helping you. And there's one sort of caveat that I want to circle back on. I think is so important. What you just said is find the two or three people that you respect, get under their mentorship or hire them or whatever the case is, and then do what they say for 12 months. I think so many people want the quick fix and want to, uh, get get the hundred thousand next month or or close the deal tomorrow or whatever and and then it doesn't happen and then they fade out real quick. I think you absolutely have to put the work in and put the time in it and and see if that what they're preaching is actually working before you actually pull out or or double down or make a decision on it and that's something I want to make sure everyone understands is if you find a mentor, make sure that you actually commit to what they're saying because there's nothing more frustrating I'm sure for you as someone who does mentor and coach uh, other loan officers if you tell someone to do something you know will work and then they don't do it how how often do you actually want to go back and talk to that person the second time as the mentor you don't as the mentor exactly yeah you you don't I mean it's it's absolute I think it's one of with we don't need to talk about my coaching it's not I mean I don't own the coaching program I'm just a coach for the program but right it's like, I mean, one of the beauties of that thing, because it's 3000 bucks a month, you only get people that are committed to being coached. You know, I mean, it's like, they're not going to spend the money if they're not, no one in their right mind would spend that kind of money and not do the work, which quite frankly, for me as the coach is one of the most refreshing things Completely. about the program. If you're out, you know, people that want some free advice. I mean, I say it all, my dad taught me this. It's like, if someone comes in, if you go in and talk to someone or someone else comes in to talk to you about something, and they don't bring a pen and paper and they don't write anything down. It's like, what are you doing here? You know? Yeah. And it's to me, it's like, it's the same thing with the person that they want to take your advice. They want to listen to you. And then they are going to go out and do absolutely nothing with it. There's it's annoying, quite frankly. Cause if someone comes to you and says, Hey Hunter, I, I, you're, you're crushing it in the loan game. Like, I love what you're doing. Like, can I buy you coffee or can I take you to lunch? And then they show up and they don't, as you said, bring a pen and paper, or at least taking notes on the phone or whatever, all of a sudden th th you're pretty obvious that they're hoping that you, you give them something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, all of us have only so much time in a day and you know, whether or not it's, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I won't go through it on the call, but it's like, I know what my billable rate is, right? I mean, you yep. take, you take your annual income, you divide it by, uh, you know, 52 and then 40, it gives you your hourly wage. And if yep. someone is, you know, if someone asks you for a cup of coffee, which by the way, I mean, it's not like, I mean, I'm a mortgage guy that does okay doing the business. It's not like you're meeting with the president of the United States, but still right. it's time away from me. That's taking away from my business, my family and everything else to help someone out, which I'm always happy to do if you're taking that time serious. So yeah, I, I mean, just I agree 100. percent Well, Hunter, you've you've brought so much value and so many thoughts, and I and I think we've gained a lot out of your story here. Um, so, in sort of getting towards the end here, if if someone were just tuning in right now and all they heard was the next 30 seconds of what you said, what's one piece of advice you'd leave them with to go forward with over the next 12 months to to step up their game up to the next level? 
you need to find people that you respect and admire and ask them to spend some time with you and do what they say. That's what I would say, no matter what field you're in, whether or not it's a teacher, mortgage, real estate, any, any business that you're in, um, you need to have mentors that you respect and admire and get around them more. You are the five, the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you level up to high quality producers in your field, you will eventually, as long as you do the work, be one of those people. Yep. Awesome. Well, that, that is worth the price of admission right there. Um, now I just want to transition real quick over to our final segment um, called our focus five. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. These are going to be five questions. Give me just the quick answer that comes to the top of your head and uh, we'll just roll through these. So the first one is what book have you gifted or recommended most recently? It's a tough question because I do it based on what people are working with or struggling with, but by and large, one of my favorite books to gift is called principles by Ray Dahlia. Love that the founder one. Of Bridge, yeah. Bridgewater. There, there's a lot of content and, and value in that one. Absolutely. So if you could get an hour of someone's time past or present and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would it be and why? So I would say, um, I have faith, but it's not a faith-based response. Uh, I would say Jesus just because of, I, I, I think, uh, I think he's an amazing person and he's obviously the most, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but he's certainly the most popular person, uh, ever to come across the, uh, the world. And I would just, I would love to sit down and ask him a thousand questions. Right on. What is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? Um, I would say I always try to stay out of politics, but this is what I would say. I would, this isn't, this is going right down the middle. I would say that most people would disagree that the people on the left, that the, the people on the right, on the far right would say the people on the left have nothing to add. And the people on the left would say the people on the right have nothing to add. And if everybody would just talk a little bit more and not be so visceral, which is everyone is at fault for, then I think things would be better. And I think the, the, the way that I'm answering your question is, is if you asked all the people on the left, they would, they would say that the people on the right don't know. And if you asked all the people on the right, they would say that the people on the left don't know. So I think I would be accurate in saying that, uh, the majority of the people would disagree with me. Does that make sense? Right totally. Love okay. it. Uh, give us a quick glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? Uh, this is, I love this. So I do the same. Well, I should say when I'm being the best version of myself, this happens, I would say four days a week. So I wake up at four 30. I go downstairs in this big, comfortable leather chair. I um, journal for 15 minutes. I meditate for 15 minutes. I go out for a four or five and a half mile run. I come back. I jump in my pool, no matter what time of year it is. It's actually, I, I like it more in the winter. The pool's not heated and it's freezing, but it's like a polar bear experience. I love that. I come out of the pool. I sit back in that chair, uh, chill out for about 10, 15 minutes, get a cup of coffee, and then I go up and shower and get ready for the day. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and then lastly, uh, what is the best place where we can find you the most online? I would say probably just Google my name and get as close to spell. If you get anywhere close to spelling my last name, which is M-A-R-C-K-W-A-R-D-T, uh, with Hunter obviously in front, it will pull me up. But you asking me this question makes me realize that I need to have a way more purposeful uh, online presence than I do today. Well, you I don't have, have a, like go to such and such, go to such and such, you know. You you pop up on Facebook as well as Google. You've got a um, a bit of a presence there, but I we can all probably step up our game more and more on online. But that's that's great. So so Google Hunter Marquart, and he will pop up. Also, you can find him on Facebook if you are spending a lot of time over there. You can help me with that. Awesome. Well, Hunter, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you sitting down, having this conversation with us. You've brought a lot of value and I appreciate it. And we will uh, go ahead and sign off. But uh, if you have any last thoughts for us, why don't you leave them and and sign us off? Uh, Okay. I would just say thanks for having me. I appreciate it a ton. And uh, I think we go through this life as an asset or a liability to everyone around us. And we got to focus on that more and, and, and be an asset to, to everyone we encounter. That's what I would say. Beautiful. Thanks, Hunter. All right, Hans. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in and listening to that great interview with Hunter. Uh, again, if you care to connect with him either on Google or Facebook, type his name in Hunter and then Mark Ward, spelled M-A-R-C-K-W-A-R-D-T. And in the meantime, I would love to hear more from you, hear what's resonating with you, what kind of questions you'd like answered, uh, what type of guests you'd like to hear on the show. So feel free to book a Calendly link in the show notes description or on my website, 15 minute call with me uh, so we can have a chat. I can get to know you better. You can get to know me and we can make this content even better. Until then, this is Hans Strazina signing off. And remember, always make your next chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at Chief SNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.